Welcome to a very disappointed Total Sucker show. My name is Daryl Grove. I'm in Boston and I'm joined by a man who's in Richmond, in our studio, and I'm going to assume is not happy. It's Taylor Rockwell. Hello. You are assuming correctly. Uh, prior to the USA Cuba game, I pushed in all my chips on Greg Berhalter, and that seemed to work out. Now it feels like I pushed them all in, I won the hand, and then the casino exploded. It's about where I feel like <laughs> I am right now. Is this the casino asking you to pay up and that you don't have the you don't have the money to pay them back and they're going to break your knuckles? I mean, that that would be like if we were coached by Joe Pesci. In this case, it's like, <laughs> no, I have the money. And then it's like before I can even cash out and enjoy it, horrific things happen. And now I don't know how to feel anymore. Oh, so in case you haven't guessed from the intro, we're yeah. here to review the 2-0 away loss to mm-hmm. Canada in the CONCACAF Nations League. The good news is, I guess, we're still in position to qualify for the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- there's that. <laughs> Second place in the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now we, we know that the Nations League matters, I I'm guess, because this. we have to win these games. Yeah, uh, the way we're going to do this, mm-hmm. we're going to talk tactics, right? Because tactics were a huge part of this game. And, yeah. you know, quick spoiler alert, Herdman got his tactics very, very right for Canada. Um, Berhalter, not so much, I think, so is much. our basic working theory. We'll get into the details of what, why we think Herdman ta- Herdman's tactics works, worked and why Greg Berhalter's uh, did not. We'll, of course, analyze the goals. And I think I'd also like to talk later, Taylor, about um, if Greg Berhalter has a sort of come-to-Jesus moment and mm. thinks, oh, I need to change some things up, what could he do to make things better? Okay. Um, so you, are you ready? Let's talk tactics. Um, I feel like we don't need to describe the US tactics because they're the exact same thing that we've seen ever since Berhalter took over. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I mean, more or less, like you don't have some of the variations we've seen, but generally speaking, yeah, back four, 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 two defensively. It seemed a little bit less high energy and high pressing than it was against Cuba. It didn't seem like we had as many numbers committed uh, as far forward as we as we have when there was success. He tried to change that, I think, in the second half. But at least in the beginning, it seemed like a four, two, three, one sort of becoming a four, four, two. Yeah, about standard from what we seen so far it's the same thing where like the right back in this case Yedlin would mm-hmm. get really far forward and you, you we've got the uh left attacking sentiment was Weston McKenney that kept that spot from mm-hmm. against Cuba Pulisic on the left wing and then rolled down as like the the number eight sometimes joining the attack sometimes joining Michael Bradley sitting in defensive midfield and Jordan Morris on the right wing sometimes getting in behind uh Josh Sargent right mm-hmm. so but it's the same old thing of we uh, we possess the ball, we move it around, we try to, in Berhalter's words, unbalance the opposition by passing it around, open up spaces and try to exploit gaps. Mm-hmm. But Canada were ready for it, right? I think that's the big thing. Canada were ready for it and they had a plan to counteract all of that. Mm-hmm. And the plan was the Bucks midfield yep. or the four-two-two-two? Um, a few people have asked us about like this formation because it is a little, it's a bit of a weird formation. What we just got was a masterclass in how this formation can work. Yeah, we absolutely did. And, and and like the fundamental principle that I would say is key to what Canada did, but key to like making the four two 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 work uh, <laughs> is just the three twos. Yeah, I prefer my seventeen twos. It felt like seventeen twos on the. <laughs> it did evening. feel like that many times when the US were trying to move the ball through midfield. It looked like there were like seven layers of twos to get through. Yeah, and 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 I think that's that's a big part of it is that you have like the layers of two, and that if you freeze frame on like the wide shot of the 
the whole field, you will have a moment when you will think like this is suicidal from Canada because there are so many U.S. players who are wide open. How can they make this system function? But it's where you have to get your head around. And it really took me a a long time to do this, which is why I'm kind of talking about it at length, is the idea of like you don't have to worry about all the space if you're very concerned about like one area of the field. And if you can limit anything in that area, then you can sort of seed the space out wide. And that's essentially what Canada did here is they never let the U.S. get any sort of comfort on the ball or defending in the middle. And so in the opening moments, they had a few attacks where like the ball would be played to Yedlin. He could just bomb down the wing and nobody was there. And it seemed like that was going to be on all day. But as the United States started to get a little bit more pressure and a little bit more uncomfortable, those balls stopped going wide. And instead, it ended up being Canada just completely suffocating the U.S. midfield. And to visualize this for people, it was originally um, Mark anthony Kay mm-hmm. and Piet were like the two defensive midfielders. Kay got injured very early on, right? Yep. He was replaced by Fraser. But Fraser and Piet would essentially always hold as the two defensive midfielders. Ahead of them, but still central, Arfield and Osorio um, as the two attacking midfielders. And I think the, the smart thing they did is they never got tempted into being pulled wide. So it made sure that Canada essentially always had four central midfielders. And so they always outnumbered the U.S. Mm-hmm. in the middle. And then the extra smart thing, I think, was it's a really good use of Alfonso Davis and Jonathan David. They're two strikers, but they're essentially tasked with providing the width, right? They would pull wide um, and have like Reem and Long chase them out wide. And that was hard work for Reem and Long. Yeah. Um, so Canada never outnumbered in central midfield. And then they were basically, for want of a better phrase, just really scrappy and up for it and willing to go blood and thunder and foul the U.S. in midfield and just make it make life really difficult for U.S. midfielders um, who wanted to just, you know, pass the ball around and make nice patterns and like run, a, <laughs> run our patterns and unbalance the opposition and do the positional play. But you can't do that when four Canadian midfielders are just willing to knock you over and kick you. No, you certainly can't. And I, and I want to like uh, respond to a few things there because it's worth noting you watched this on TUDN, uh, Spanish language. You did not watch it on ESPN, which had Taylor yeah. Twelman and Ian Dark. And uh, to go to a point you made with the like David and Davies, uh, Taylor Twelman argued that it was after the injury and the substitution for Mark Anthony Kay that Canada changed it up and brought uh, Afonso Davies central. Uh, I texted you that. You responded like, I'm not sure that's true. I went back and watched. You're absolutely right that it was basically those two, even if they went wide at times and spread the field, it was those two, Davies and David, consistently kind of stretching the U.S., causing problems, trying to put themselves in scenarios in which they were one-on-one, specifically with Tim Ream, and they did that on occasion so that you, you really saw that right when it, when they were matched up with ream mm-hmm. uh, they beat him for pace davies murdered him that one time yep. down the end line i think uh, yeah, Roldan, I posted. uh blocked out the cross long yeah. was much more successful one-on-one i think it kind of backs up the idea that long needed to be in this game to at mm-hmm. least match some of that canadian pace yes it, it was the frustrating thing of Reem's like slowness was exposed and then I would argue a lot of Long's distribution or lack thereof was exposed where he really struggled to play some of those kind of direct driven balls into the feet of the U.S. midfielders. Instead, it seemed like he was kind of looking for the balls in behind for, say, Jordan Morris or for runs like that, which didn't come off yeah. as much. A reason why I think the United States wasn't able to find much joy there and indeed when they were counterattacking, uh, I wanted to go back to your kind of midfield box point for a moment, is that I found it really confusing when the U.S. would win the ball back because they were set up to win the ball back relatively high, not aggressively high, not a high press, but they were winning the ball back. But then when they would, it was almost as though they still thought they were playing against Cuba or a team 
like Cuba who really struggled in their counterattacks because every time the U.S. won the ball back, they would try to go at Canada's goal as though there weren't two holding midfielders who were just sitting back centrally, and they were every time. Yeah. And instead, you'd have the U.S. kind of head down dribble or head down ball over the top, and Canada were more than happy. I mean, that's like essentially playing into into Canada's hands. They're doing exactly what Canada want, and I almost wonder if Canada were confused by why the United States kept persisting <laughs> in that endeavor because it never worked. It was why the U.S. kept kind of crashing into walls of Canadian defenses and why counterattacks kept getting broken up and why possession never got reestablished because essentially Canada set up the exact right way to kind of counteract that threat. So why didn't the US use the wings more? Because obviously with that 4-2-2-2, there was a lot of space out wide, right? Because Canada were really deliberately crowding the middle and they were giving up the wings. Why weren't we just hitting diagonals out to DeAndre Yedlin? Why wasn't Christian Pulisic, who was playing left wing? I feel like I kept seeing him towards the middle, trying to dribble at three people at once and losing the ball. Um, I never really saw him out on the left wing on his own. And then we were like finding him and he's one-on-one against uh, Laria. Why couldn't we use the width? I have a a couple of possible explanations for this. One of them relates to a thing that Sebi Salazar uh, told us from his sideline reporting that Burr Halter throughout the first half was very frustrated with the back fours inability to swing the ball from left to right, right to left quickly, that it tended to take okay. a lot of time. There was kind of foot on the passes. They were usually looking for balls into the U.S.'s midfield, and they weren't moving from one side to the other. And the reason so that gives I think- Canada time to shift over, right? If we're exactly. slowly moving the ball across the back four, Canada can shift and then cover the wing that we're going for. And they're already right. there by the time we get there. So that's, that's a basic thing, which they executed very well. The kind of nuanced aspect of this, which I saw at least three times, maybe four, but enough that that to me says they were doing this intentionally, is that three or four different times I would see Michael Bradley drop in, get the ball, and turn to hit that direct ball sort of into the channel over the top, probably onto like a DeAndre Yedlin who, not like like towards the corner flag, but you know when he'll like play it 10 yards in front of Yedlin on the other side of midfield and he'll run on and collect it? Like yeah, Bradley's- it's hard for Yedlin to make an interior diagonal run to meet it. Yeah, but it's sort of yeah. is like it's sort of like imagine Bradley like ten yards on his half and like closer to like one touch line and he like takes a touch and then plays it like driven across the field ten yards onto the other side. So he's basically a twenty yard forward, sixty, seventy yard vert like like lateral pass. And Bradley yeah. kept trying to do that and he would look for it and Canada usually one of those t- front two, sometimes it was uh Osorio, but basically they would always have somebody who was just in the area enough that that ball was too threatening, that it was it was potentially going to be cut out. That too ball dangerous to, be, to play. Exactly, yeah. And it wasn't always to Yedlin. There was once where I think Bradley shaped up to play that ball wide to Pulisic, and same thing. And if you can't play that long diagonal, that driven diagonal, to cause Canada some discomfort because now they have to switch quickly, and you're not switching it fast enough so they can always move their shape to wherever they need to be, you're really never causing any problems, and you're never able to exploit the opportunities down the wings. So to say that maybe in a more basic way, is it that when we were looking to play diagonal, Canada had crowded the central midfield Mm -hmm. so much that there wasn't enough time and space to even have a central midfielder look up and be able to to play the ball out wide because they're immediately under pressure. I think that's a, that's like 90% of it. And then the other 10% yeah. is just that even when the U.S. did finally have that time, there was just, you've been in that situation where you see your teammate, you know you could probably play them that ball, but there's just that one defender who's like sort of close enough that maybe if they read it exactly right, they'll step in front, win it, and now you've launched a counterattack 
the opposite way. Yeah. That was what they dangerous, doing. right? You yeah. don't want Alfonso Davies counterattack. No, and it usually was like Alfonso Davies right there. Like, go ahead, play that ball. I'll take it with one touch and I will go straight at your goal and you will be at fault. And so then Bradley would sort of check back and play it to a center back or all the way back to Stefan or kind of put on yeah. the, his foot on the ball and it just killed any momentum. Not Bradley's fault necessarily, but, uh, but certainly something that I think Canada did very effectively. And I would argue the genius of the Canadian setup is that those two central attacking midfielders, Arfield and Osorio, mm-hmm. are both really good at playing through balls. We yeah. kind of highlighted Arfield's passing and we and Osorio's creativity in the preview, right? But any chance they had to play a ball in behind for Davis and David to run onto, it was almost always uh, perfectly measured. Actually, I think the um, the the second goal that Canada scored, the, score, the Cavallini mm-hmm. goal, Osorio, it's like a one-time ball over the top that's perfectly weighted, right, mm-hmm. for Cavallini. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think that gets to another issue uh, for the United States defensively this time is, as I said uh, earlier on, it seemed like the U.S. were kind of content to do the thing that has frustrated you and me uh, on on a number of occasions at a Burhalter is the sort of mid-ish block 4-4-2. But what ends up happening is our back line sits a little bit deeper. This like the straight four in the midfield sit a little bit deeper. And then we have the two kind of forwards, quote unquote, uh, in this case, it was Josh Sargent, Weston McKinney, sort of like maybe like 10 yards further forward than like the lines maybe should have allowed. And so even if those two are moving around trying to kind of block off options to other central midfielders or trying to shepherd the ball to one side of the field or the other, they're really not able to do so. And what kept happening is that they would eventually get bypassed and now the whole midfield has to come charging forward to try to put out put that pressure on before anything can happen and because they've now moved forward and maybe the back line has been a little bit slow you just kept having these waves of gaps opening up and the united states never closed that down they never played more compact they never had the forwards really drop in or the back line push that much higher they never went for the high press they just kept doing this this thing we need a term for it you and i because it's a thing that drives us nuts but it's that sort of like okay these two are going to go press but now they're going to stop and drop off. But okay, now this guy's going to go yeah. press. It's just a very intermittent sort of system of individual pressing that is never going to cause problems for a team that's even mildly organized. Well, there's the low block, the mid block, and the high block. I mm. call this the mare block. <laughs> the mare block? Mare block, yeah. yeah. I like that one. I like that one. Before we <laughs> talk... Liz Lemon would call it the lo- the mid blurg. The mid blurg. That's perfect. Um, before... <laughs> Anytime you get a Liz Lemon quote in there, I'm good with it. Before we talk more about what went horrifically wrong, as well as the two goals from Canada, we should probably take a moment to talk about like something happier, uh, which is today's sponsor. Yeah. Because maybe if you're feeling grimy and dirty after a terrible, terrible result, you can use Dollar Shave Club, today's sponsor, to make you feel a little bit cleaner, to scrub off the the distressing uh, coating of sadness that was that loss to Canada. And instead, you can uh, shave your way into cleanliness and happiness yeah. and maybe optimism about other things. So if you want to freshen up with Dollar Shave Club, you can freshen up with some proven quality products because Dollar Shave Club have spent years developing, crafting, and refining everything. Mm -hmm. They have everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best, even if you don't feel the best after watching Canada 2, USA 0. Yeah. I mean, and if you, like, they've got you covered from showering. They've got different, like, bath products to make you feel clean. They've got the facial scrub if you need to, again, just sort of, uh, do the the sad face rub that you do when you're sort of like yeah. bummed out about life. You could just do that prep in the scrub. shower and cry prep at the same time. The w- prep scrub for the win. Exfoliate the sadness away. Exactly. And then you shave off the sad facial hair. Uh, you style your hair. You brush yeah. your teeth. And you come out feeling cleaner 
if not more optimistic about the state of the national team, the men's national team, I should say. So you use maybe the shave butter and yeah. the executive razor mm. to clean up your face and you can you can face a new day. <laughs> well said, sir. Uh, <laughs> and right now you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. Their ultimate shave starter set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. Uh, some of the things we've already mentioned, the executive razor, the shave butter, prep scrub, and post-shave dew. And the best part is you can try it now for just $5. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at mm-hmm. regular prices. True. But you get your ultimate starter set for just $5, dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. That's mm-hmm. dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. And if you can't remember that, the link will be in the show notes where you can click it. There we are. Well said, Daryl. Thank you for explaining all that. And thank you to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, any other things we want to get to from a general tactical perspective before we take a look at those goals? Uh, well, I'm I'm sort of slightly concerned that mm-hmm. having watched this, this is the first time that I've really felt like maybe this bearhalter positional play system can't work. Yeah. This is the first game where I've genuinely um, lost faith in it. Like after the loss to Mexico in the Gold Cup final, I still saw moments of like, okay, maybe, right? Okay, maybe. And then the Cuba game last week, I know it's only Cuba, but you saw, I think I said like it's, it's what – Greg Behalter imagines the perfect version of it when he closes his eyes, right? So we can see this is what the U.S. team could look like. But when it comes up against someone um, or a team that has a plan to deal with it, you can see that it just crashes against the rocks, right? And what really worries me about the Behalter system um, is not just that maybe we can't do it against even medium to good CONCACAF opposition. Like it's, it used to be like Germany and Brazil we were worried about playing this system against, right? Now it's Canada. Um, it's that there's no plan B. Yeah. And what really concerned me was the final 10 minutes. I kept thinking, okay, with one nil down, um, we need we need to get an equalizer. This is where you sort of abandon the principles of keep moving the ball around and try and open up space because it hasn't worked for 80 minutes. We haven't opened up any space. And maybe we just keep driving the ball into the box just you know really old-fashioned style like maybe send a center back forward and drive the ball into the box loft the ball into the box route one style try and make something happen that way and just put them under pressure that way but it seemed like there was just an absolute commitment to plan a even when plan a wasn't working right up until canada scored a second goal i don't disagree with anything you said at all but i would instead double down on like like how obvious it was and how like how much there was a lack a resounding lack of a response is what really had me scratching my head and you pointed out the no plan b thing uh Nippon Chopra on Twitter uh had a great series of tweets that were kind of talking about that exact thing um but what i would point to Daryl for, for you and me is like we had a uh an adult soccer game here in Richmond, like cup game a couple weeks ago, where it was very apparent in the first, like what, like 10 minutes that the opposition team is essentially putting like five people in the middle of the field and really not letting us play out. So we either yeah. had to go long and then they were coming right back and like keeping numbers high. And we sort of realized like, oh, they've got a ton of numbers in the middle. We have to make an adjustment and get more numbers in there to counteract yeah. that. Like that was the thing that you and I were able to kind of, I'm not genuinely not even bragging. I'm saying it's like, it's an obvious thing of if you're being overrun in the middle you add more numbers there to balance that out or you avoid the middle altogether. But, but like balancing it out makes way more sense to me. And that there was never any like, okay, this isn't working. Uh, Weston's going to sit in. We're going to have three there. One of our center backs is going to be more aggressive and that'll help us counteract it. Or we're going to like, like high press from the, like we're going to change everything. We're going to be really aggressive. Like there was just no reaction to it. Instead, it was almost a like, okay, well, 
let's like send numbers higher and see what happens, which is kind of what they did in the second half. That's how they started is instead of sitting in a full four two, it seemed to me like they were a bit higher up in like a mid high block. Only this time it was a four two four. But then the problem then was that Canada still had the numbers in the middle that yeah, if they didn't, could bypass that those didn't front solve four. It, right? No, it didn't then, solve it at all. And like I mean, I have all kinds of concerns about the defensive setup mm-hmm. and have done for a long time. But now I'm really concerned about the attacking setup. Yep. And I even I got kind of excited when um, Zardes came on for Roldan because I thought, oh, now we've got two strikers, so we won't be going with that one striker and then all attacking midfielder system. But in the end, Jesse Zardes just played the centre forward role, mm-hmm. and Josh Sargent played the left attacking center mid roll, right? There wasn't even a change in shape even when we got two strikers on the field. No, and and if anything, it got more stretched out. There was a point after Canada scored their second when obviously it's it's very unlikely that the United States are going to be able to pull anything back, but even getting one goal. And it's like the back four are maybe 30 yards from the U.S. goal, and then it's a very stretched out 4-2-3-1. Like, it's like almost hilariously a 4-2-3-1 and how like rigid their structure is, but it's a good 15 to 20 yards between each of those lines. And so, like, there was no real change that caused any Canada any problems. There was never any sort of attempt to overwhelm the areas that they were vulnerable to being overwhelmed. Instead, it was like, well, let's just put in some more energetic people and see if we can fight harder. And... And I just want to point that out to say that, like, that was the thing Burhalter talked about in the post-match was how they were outworked. They didn't fight for the 50-50s. There wasn't enough effort. And to me, that's that's a thing where if Jurgen Klinsmann said that, I would be banging my head against the table of, like, really what you came away from was that we didn't want it enough. And <laughs> I say that just to say that, like, that is a concern for me, that that seemed to be the takeaway. I mean, I'm interested that you called it a 4 right? Because mm-hmm. that's not supposed to be the shape. When we attack, it's supposed to be... Bradley holds and then the the other midfielder right. joins the attack, right? So it should have been like McKenney left center um, and Roldan right mm-hmm. center attacking mid. Um, and I wonder, are you calling it a four two three one because Roldan essentially didn't join the attack? No, this is when the United States was defending, which is even more terrifying. It's like they had, okay. they had sent the ball forward. I think Zardes ran onto it. Uh, 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 Borjan, the keeper for Canada, came out and collected the ball. I don't even really know if that's the way you pronounce his name, but he was only like mentioned twice in this game, essentially. So there you go. Uh, he didn't have a lot to do, did he, unfortunately? No, and it's when he boots the ball long that they cut to a wide shot, and you can see just how stretched out and sort of open the United States is, and that's when they're in a very obvious four-two-three-one. I mean, I'm not sure they're supposed to be, but that's what yeah, it, no, that's what it is in that moment. They're supposed to be in a four four two defense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Troubling. Right. Troubling. All right. Um, are you ready to talk about the goals? Should we get into the details of the goals? Yeah, that works. All right. So the Anthony Davis goal. Do you mind if I just I, I'll walk us through it and then we'll talk about maybe some of the the problems uh, that that happen with this? this Alfonso the, Davis, you mean? Excuse me. Excuse me. I've done that. I've done that before, haven't I? Do you, well, I, think I think it's because there was an uh, in the well, maybe not for you, but in the ESPN feed, there kept being an update about Anthony Davis, uh, the, <laughs> the basketball player, and maybe that maybe that threw you off a little bit. So Alfonso Davis mm-hmm. in the 63rd minute gives Canada the lead. Um, it's it's originally a sort of long ball from Canada. Um, Aaron Long wins the header, mm. heads it to Michael Bradley. Michael Bradley receives it facing his own goal. And then that classic thing of the midfield pressure from Canada happens, right? It's immediate pressure from Arfield, who I don't think Bradley knows is coming for him. No, I'm going to guess nobody gives him the man on shout. I mean, he should he should know anyway, right? He should be aware of what's around him. But it looks to me like no one gives Bradley the man on shout. And Arfield is able to just like body Bradley a bit and get a, like a poke tackle in and uh, poke tackle it to Jonathan David. And then there's then there's a counterattack happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I, I'm guessing we're going to go piece by piece here. So just to yeah. talk about Bradley for a moment, like 
I think you're probably right. I think he probably doesn't get a shout. But I think that if the United States is in a better rhythm, if this is a game that they're winning or they're playing well in, when Long plays Bradley that ball, I think he does his best to one-touch pass it laterally to, I think it's Christian Roldan on Bradley's right. Um, But he doesn't do that. He settles the ball. He tries to get under control. But then by the time he's able to play it, he's essentially not playing with his left foot. He tries to play with the outside of his right foot. And that's when it gets uh, stuck by our field. And... I guess, like, to go way back, it reminded me for a moment of the USA-Portugal game in the 2014 World Cup when Bradley sort of lost the ball, depending on your perspective, and everybody was really mad at him. And I remember watching that and thinking, like, well, no, he covered 10 grounds, like, 10 yards. He did everything he could, and then he just kind of wasn't able to get there in time. This was the opposite, where I felt like, oh, this is the same thing. He's trying to do what he can. And actually, if you watch it, like he's just slow on the ball. He's taking his time yep. because I think the whole system is is out of sorts and nobody is really up for it and no one is playing fast. And so if, if the whole team isn't playing fast, you, the individual, aren't going to try to do so. And because he's slow and isn't really aware and no one's really talking and the team seems out of it, Arfield just steps in and wins that ball. And now Canada have a great opportunity. And I think that's the perfect – it's almost the story of this game is there, right? The mm-hmm. U.S. is slow and ponderous on the ball, and Canada are fast and aggressive yep. and has number and have numbers in midfield to make it impossible for us to play. Um, so Arfield gets the poke tackle. Uh, Jonathan David receives it. David gives it to Davies. Davies tries to square it back to David, who kind of miscontrols it, right? So then Team Ream has the chance to counterattack. Um, and I've rewatched this several times. I think Tim Ream is trying to pass it into the feet of Paul Ariola. Agreed. Miss hits the pass. He does. Uh, pass goes straight to Fraser, who, in contrast to Bradley, one times it to Arfield. Mm-hmm. And then Arfield very quickly squares it across the box to Alfonso Davies, not Anthony Davies. Um, Alfonso Davies, who is behind Aaron Long and behind DeAndre Yedlin to finish at the far mm-hmm. post. And I want to I wanna see what your thoughts are on somebody should have been picking Davies up, right? Is it Long or is it Yedlin? Um uh, okay, I'll answer that, and then I have another point to make even before we get to that point. Uh, to me, it's Yedlin. Yedlin is is definitely tracking Alfonso Davies in the lead-up to this goal. Uh, before the ball comes in, he, sh- he is the closest one to him. He should have position, but instead Yedlin is behind Alfonso Davies. He never really attempts to get goal side, and instead sort of does that half-hearted point in the direction of the person he's theoretically supposed to be marking, I think with the idea yeah. of like he's telling Aaron Long, hey, you should mark him. But there's no reason for it's DeAndre true. Yedlin not to be there. Didn't Aaron Long ju- was just marking Davis though? When um, that original ball comes in mm-hmm. um, after Arfield has like, made the poke pass, then David gives it to Davis. It's Long that is squared up with, um, with Alfonso Davis, at least for those few seconds when right. he forces Davis to pass it square to David, but then it looks to me like Long moves off him because Yedlin has been coming back from attacking position. And I think there's like a miscommunication it's, between Long and Yedlin. Like uh, Yedlin thinks Long's got him and Long thinks Yedlin has come back to mark him. I, I think what happens, I think, is when Reem uh, has that misplaced ball to Areola, everybody sort of for a half second is in the like, okay, we've reestablished possession. We're now going to counterattack so we can move into the shape that we usually have. Then so they Yedlin realize, goes. It doesn't really even go. It's just more of like for a second they all kind of like step out and I think move to their customary positions. And Aaron Long is no longer really concerned with like man mark at this point because now like oh the us have ball oh no now we don't and in that moment i think long is now concerned with marking his space and dealing with runners into the box and and i really do think that like maybe he could have done a little bit better but i i put it all on yedlin here to be honest that like he doesn't react he doesn't really get like aggressively back into shape and i just think in that moment if you have spotted a vulnerability or a problem 
you've kind of got to take decisive action there. And just being like, oh, hey, Aaron, he's open, like isn't going to do it in that moment. <laughs> I think you've got to kind of be alive to it. And maybe that's unfair, but I think given how outworked the U.S. was from start to finish in this game, to me, I look at that as another example of the United States just sort of being like, I'm sure somebody will get him, and nobody did. But I would also say that that was sort of how uh, Lovitz chose to defend this sequence. And it happened a couple different oh, times. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to Lovitz. What was going on with him? He, so he also is kind of like hard done by the fact that like he's trying to mark like kind of a couple different players at different points. And then he's transitioning after uh, Tim Ream plays that ball forward. Then he's kind of narrow. He has to slide out wide. But I think I think I... Like the major thing that I noticed with Lovitz uh, f- in the first half, especially against Alfonso Davies and here for this goal, is he is, it seems, content to let players get crosses off and get shots off from relative distance. What he seems keenly aware of is that he is yeah, not he as fast Alfonso as some of these Davis people. get away with one early on, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, and I think it's because he's doing that defensive thing of if you shoot from distance or you cross – I'm not responsible anymore because other people should be able to make plays. And I think he is so concerned about getting beat for pace that here, it's not even Alfonso Davies. It's not even uh, Jonathan David. I believe it is uh, your man, Arfield, who basically has time and space and is able to pick this pass out because Lovitz kind of does that like slide over. Like, I'm not going to overcommit. I'm not going to let you beat me. If you cross it, you cross it. But to not really make Arfield uncomfortable allows him to just play that ball to the back post. And then you have Yedlin not really making a decisive play. You have Long maybe switching off or maybe there's a miscommunication. But there's just so many moments of individual mistakes that culminate in a good goal for Canada. Speaking of individuals, I don't think we should necessarily go through uh, multiple mm-hmm. performances and grade them and all that. Cause I think this is kind of a team yep. failure, right? But I've long seen a lot of sort of reactions from people of like, Lovitz isn't good enough to play for the national team. Roldan isn't good enough to play for the national team. And I've always been of the opinion that you don't know that for sure. Let's give them a chance. Let's see what happens. I kind of feel like this was the game where you could take a lot of evidence that Lovitz and Roldan are not quite up to international standard. Like yeah. literally, I watched Roldan pass the ball out of bounds twice. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I saw that. I saw a lot of Roldan like having a really heavy touch. I think his first touch is a problem. It pops up uh, on a number of occasions or it's a little bit too like loose and it leads to 50-50 balls that shouldn't be there. And I think you definitely saw... The deficiencies of Roldan, and I would say Lovitz as well. I would agree with that. I think- I'd say the the limitations of Lovitz were sort of the like inability to go past people mm-hmm. or um, do anything to get himself out of trouble. And he would often just be. I saw him force balls from left back yep. into midfield so many times that were just not good balls. Right, they're essentially just setting up attacking midfielders for like bouncing 50-50 balls, which really aren't good enough. That's not a no. good enough ball to be playing in. No, and and while we're talking about individuals for a moment, I, I do want to also add that I think I was the one who said I, I would be excited to see DeAndre Edlin start it right back, that I wanted to see what he could offer. Uh, I think we kind of concluded that it might be Edlin, it might be Cannon. If it was Cannon, that, that meant that he had kind of moved further up the depth chart. Instead, it's Yedlin, but I think at the end of the evening, Reggie Cannon still moves further up the depth depth chart because I think DeAndre Yedlin was that poor tonight. I don't think it was a good choice to play Yedlin, even just in terms of team familiarity, right? Reggie Cannon 
is the guy that Aaron Long has played with throughout mm-hmm. the whole Gold Cup. Yep. He's the guy that Jordan Morris has that good relationship with. And I don't, I don't really see the logic in starting Yedlin over Cannon um, in this game. I, I don't either. And then I think it's compounded by the fact that, like, unless I missed one, and I don't think I did, DeAndre Yedlin cannot cross a ball. And it drove me insane. He oh, there was an early one where he massively overhit it, right? That was the only time he overhit it. Almost every other time he hit the first defender with the cross. Like, to the point of, like, like almost, like, aiming for it. It seemed like he was going for a bank shot or something. But, like, yeah. if you're going to put DeAndre Yedlin in there, if you're going to put DeAndre Yedlin in there, whew, I got it out eventually. Like, uh-huh. I guess my idea would be, like, oh, you're going to use him, you're going to counterattack with space, and then he's going to, like, ping a ball in across the top of the box or, like, the front of goal and cause problems. And instead, he kept kind of, like, getting the ball, driving, but then slowing up to cross, and then never cleared the first defender except for the one time when he cleared all the defenders. And that really didn't, like facilitate any sort of attack and it was another example of the United States sort of trying a thing over and over again expecting different results and they never really came so that's definitely a downer a little um, bit Christian Pulisic being subbed after an hour yep. is a downer mm-hmm. Canada scoring a second goal is a downer yep. so before we talk about all that I think we should cheer ourselves up um, with a dip into the past with talisman caps how how should we do that, Daryl? Because Talisman Caps are the makers of the the like lovely, uh, almost designer baseball caps, but they're very modern. So how can we dip into well, the past? Almost designer. They are designer. They're designed by a designer. So the this caps are great. They're designed by a designer. Um, but the people. By the way, who we get paid for this ad by the number of times we say design, right? We we do. We just made a fortune. There we go. <laughs> but they also because they have an eye for great design. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people at Talisman Caps have sort of done some curating of mm-hmm. vintage soccer shirts. If you go to talismancaps.com, um, under uh, under shop, if mm-hmm. you go to vintage, you will see pages and pages and pages of vintage soccer shirts that they have found and collected and are willing to sell to you. And mm-hmm. there are some absolute beauties out there. I'm going to say the, the USA 1995 uh, Nike third jersey would be a good one. That was like a, that was a decent <laughs> year for US soccer. You can go back and remember fonder times. Yeah, uh, these were better days. Right? Yeah, so, same for the Talisman Adidas '94 rainbow jersey. Uh, well, that's, that's a fresh design, actually, right? That's because yeah. they've taken taken the '94, added some rainbow, and created a whole new jersey. That's exactly. a, a a fresh take on an old design. See, that would be fine. I would be okay yeah. with the United States doing something like that if it meant that we would win in the World Cup again. <laughs> if you're an Arsenal fan, they have a '96 '97 away Arsenal jersey with a Bergkamp number ten on the back. I don't think you can do much better than uh, going back to the early days of Dennis Bergkamp. If you're an Arsenal fan and you want a nice reminder of when things were good. Um, and then if you want a nice reminder <laughs> of things were good as a DC United fan uh, who will be going back to BMO Field to play Toronto in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, you they, could sell, go, they sell time machines? Uh, they sell the DC United 1998-1999 uh, away jersey, which is the white one with like the three vertical black stripes on the left-hand side. It's a very <laughs> lovely jersey, and I remember uh, Marco Echeverri well in it. Uh, and I think he would cause problems. <laughs> Even at his age, he might be able to play for the current DC United team. So, uh, yeah, uh, positive. Positive memories there, courtesy of Talisman Caps. 
So there are pages and pages. I mean, honestly, yeah. I could go through these and list all kinds of uh, jerseys that that, are, that just look great because they've that done a might... really good job of curating it. But we don't want to name every jersey no. here, right? That might People be more should... fun than going through the rest of this game, but we probably shouldn't. <laughs> People can go look for themselves at talismancaps.com. Again, click the uh, shop tab and then click on vintage and you will see all the vintage jerseys that you can buy at talismancaps.com. You can also get 10% off, right, Taylor? You can indeed. Uh, and it's pretty simple. With a minimum purchase of $35, which is the cost of one cap, you can get 10% off by using the discount code TOTALSOCCER10. That's all one word all together. TOTALSOCCER10 at talismancaps.com to get 10% off your order. And just worth noting that it's Total Soccer, the words, obviously, because that's Thank the only you. way to say yes. Total Soccer. And it's the numbers 1-0, just like the 10 on the back of that Arsenal away jersey with Burkamp's name above it. Total Soccer 10, talismancaps.com. The link and the code will be in the show notes. All right. Thank you to Talisman Caps for sponsoring a sad episode that's going to get sadder because we've still <laughs> got another goal to talk about. Let's talk about Canada's second, shall we? Well, actually, do you mind if we talk Pulisic first? Oh, because, even more fun. Even more fun. Yeah, the the first goal that Canada score, it's what, the 63rd minute? Mm-hmm. In the 60th minute, so just a few minutes before, Greg Berhalter made the major decision mm-hmm. to sub out Christian Pulisic for Paul Ariola. Yeah. Um, I thought in the moment that there was a chance because of the, the minute that it occurs that this was a sort of like, we told Chelsea we would only play him a certain number of minutes, so he's only going to play like two-thirds of both games. You you texted me that I was offended by your lack of respect for the CONCACAF <laughs> Nations League, sir. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair, and I think that also, like, maybe Greg Berhalter would have preferred to be able to explain it away that way. It's like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, because if you're seeing these as competitive games, which they are, then it makes it a way harder uh, decision to justify taking out uh, arguably your most important attacking player uh, in the 60th minute when you're trailing or like when you're about to be trailing, when you're certainly not looking good, when he seems like one of the players who could create something instead, he's uh, with a very frustrated face sitting on the bench. So that's the thing. Um, in the post-match press conference, Berhalter said that Pulisic had flu-like mm-hmm. symptoms for the couple of days before the game, and he replaced him with Ariola to add some energy to mm-hmm. the team, right? But if you saw Pulisic's face when he was coming off, he was not happy. And then if you see sort of his face when he was getting towards the bench, when he knew he was maybe no longer on camera, but we still got a couple of looks at him, he was... He was angry, essentially, right? He was really mad about coming off. So there's no way that Pulisic wanted to come off. No. But here's the thing. He was not playing well. Christian Pulisic seemed to think the answer to every problem was to dribble at multiple people and turn the ball over. And we've seen this from him previously against uh, Cuba and other sort of like less strong CONCACAF opposition, including uh, Trinidad in Cuba, that we've, uh, Cuba, I should say, just to clarify, not Cuba, yeah. uh, that would be more confusing, that like he does tend to try to take it all on himself when it seems like things are going south. And you and I have played with players like that. Sometimes that can be a positive because you need that person who, the, the old cliche of like takes the game by the scruff of the neck. But if they're trying to do that and it's still really ineffective, and if anything is causing even more problems then it's incumbent upon the coach to change things up. And I don't mean substitute. I mean adjust the game plan, adjust the tactics to better suit that player, to put him in a position where he can actually cause problems and create opportunities for the United States. 
I would have thought the more obvious change would be to take Roldan off Correct. for Ariola. <laughs> Ariola on the left wing, McKenny to right centre mid, yeah. so he does a bit more defensive work but still gets involved in the attack. Mm-hmm. And Christian Pulisic back to his old spot where Berhalter liked him as the left attacking centre mid, the number 10, right? Mm-hmm. I think it would have been worth giving him a go in that spot rather than making what really is a major decision, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I think this this was one of the top five worst or like one of the lowest five worst performances we've seen from Christian Pulisic for the yeah, U.S. It wasn't, good. it wasn't good. But it wasn't significantly worse, if at all worse, than a lot of other people in that field. I think you're absolutely right, Christian Roldan, made way more sense to me. And this is where, again, we go back to starting to have major questions about Greg Berhalter or, or having even bigger questions about him. Because here, regardless of the answer, it's not good. Because either it wasn't that Pulisic was, had flu symptoms and Berhalter just thought it wasn't working, but then he took off one of his most creative attacking players and exciting attacking players. If it was that it was like, well, he had flu-like symptoms, this was a pre-planned substitution, that makes sense unless the criticism against you is you don't really adapt your plan when you need to. You don't have plan B or plan C. And here, if the plan was like, well, he's coming off in the 60th minute and we still don't look good and we haven't scored and Canada are looking more threatening, but the plan is the plan, so off he goes. That, to me, again, speaks to maybe the rigidness of Berhalter's yeah. approach. I mean, I, to be honest, I, I don't believe in it, this pre-planned substitution idea because otherwise Pulisic would have been a lot more okay with it, right? Mm-hmm. He would have been pre- emotionally well, prepared for well, it. This was a- definitely a surprise to Pulisic. Well, see, maybe I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm not saying this very clearly. Let me try it one more time is like like I can see a situation in which, okay, like say Daryl, for example, Daryl is, you know, your health is such that you are probably not going to be able to play a full 90 minute soccer game. But say you get back to the point where you could play 60 minutes and in the 60th minute, it's this no, no game. You're battling. You feel better than expected. We're trying to hold on. We need you. And then I sub you out. Even if it was planned that we were like, hey, you probably can only do 60 minutes. You've got to go out in that moment when you're fighting and you really want to make something happen and you know it's on you to then be substituted out when you've probably said, hey, I'm actually feeling way better. I can keep going. I think even if you did have an idea, I'm not saying he did, but even if there were conversations beforehand, it's still in that moment is going to be him being like, no, 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 no. This doesn't need to happen. I'm fine. I want to keep going. Yeah, and you saw that emotion not, fight. Especially because we're not sort of 3-0 up, right? right and it's like, exactly. okay, job done. I can get out. Which is, I think, um, maybe what the plan was when the, maybe there was a plan to sub him out, if there was, and then it didn't go that way, but he was still subbed off. Do you think uh, the Pulisic sub had any effect on the rest of the team? Because I think it's, oh, such a, it's such a major figure to pull out of a game that I wonder if it was one of those subs. I'd love to watch this again and mm-hmm. see if the rest of the team was sort of looking around like, can you believe he's doing this? Kind of, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it can have a kind of um, effect on morale and like produce some confusion when your star player yeah. is subbed out. I, I promise this is in relation to what you're saying, but I'm realizing the reason why I keep harping on like maybe it was a conversation they had had is because it literally makes no sense otherwise. And I think that, yeah, so with that in mind, it I can't really justify substituting him out even if he was having a poor game. And I think if you are Weston McKinney or Josh Sargent, who, who is sort of looking to Christian Pulisic to help you establish some sense of rhythm, you're looking at this player that you know is going to be the one who's going to help create chances. Again, you and I have played in teams where you have that guy, and the idea of that player being subbed off would sort of break your morale a little bit because instead it's like, well... Someone else has come on, and we've got to change what we're doing, and I don't know if that guy's going to be as good or as effective. Uh, I don't really know anymore. I'm not really sure what we're doing. And I think, yeah, it definitely creates more questions and thus more confusion and thus more chaos. And is it a coincidence or is it related that Canada score three minutes later? 
Um, I'm inclined. If you had to choose one or the other, I would say coincidence. I think yeah, it, it, it had been building, and I think with what we talked about, there are so many individual errors combined with failures of the system that I don't know if having Christian Pulisic back in there would have helped. I would also argue that there were moments when I saw Pulisic not going full speed, 100% sprint back yeah. to help kind of put out some of the counterattacks. So, yeah, I mean, Belt is not wrong that he was nowhere no. near 100%, right? No. He was not, yeah. but I but it's I'd still. I'd rather have a, a yeah. flu game Pulisic than a a non flu Christian Roldan. I mean, yeah, I I don't I have to pick my Christians. I I don't disagree <laughs> with that. It's worth noting we have not yet heard any quotes one way or the other from Christian Pulisic. I I haven't seen anybody tweeting out anything about whether or not he actually had flu symptoms or or was feeling particularly poorly. Uh, but I I would say that like. Yeah, if he's not going to do the defensive work and you're not quite sure if he's capable of continuing to sprint up and back every single blade of grass, then you put him up top and you let him combine with Sargent or McKinney or somebody else and you kind of back him to help control the ball a little bit more. So to take him out, yeah, it probably probably didn't lead to the goal or have even like that big of an impact on that first goal, but it certainly didn't help with U.S. morale. Speaking of the U.S. morale, I don't believe it was helped by Cavallini scoring a second goal for Canada in the 91st minute. I would say probably not. Um, no. This one this one I have a harder time with because it, it sort of is like not necessarily the U.S. doing anything specifically wrong, if that makes any sense. But it still is like I've watched this a bunch. And like Tim Ream makes a decent play on the ball. It's a long ball over the top that he heads. But then because he's like following through with his momentum, he's now out of position and it leaves space in behind. And I think, it, again, it just speaks to like the United States sort of being stretched, being all over the place and not really being in a strong position to deal with uh, second balls. Well, I take us back a phase. And okay. this this comes after a long spell of the US again 91st minute searching for an equalizer right um and we're not we're not sort of direct enough to just serve it into the box and right. see what happens we're passing it around we're passing it around bradley goes for a diagonal mm-hmm. um he tries to hit a big diagonal to someone i don't know if it's lovitz or if it's Ariola um on the left and he underhits it because there really wasn't the space to play it but i think he's just so desperate to try and make something happen and something within the system is that those diagonal balls out wide mm-hmm. so he tries it but the right back laria just picks it off gets to it first chests it back to the goalkeeper then the keeper goes long right mm-hmm. so that's how, that's how this thing starts with a failure of us imagination or attacking play and then bradley failing with the diagonal um i'd also argue that when reem gets first to this ball so this long ball from the keeper and heads it it is kind of a thing of center backing that you're not supposed to head that's it straight to the feet of the opposition that's a very fair like, point <laughs> do you remember in the first goal even though it doesn't work out nicely aaron long meets a long ball and heads it to michael bradley's feet right you're supposed to try and head it far away or at least head it towards yeah. a teammate right reem heads it straight to osorio and that's why osorio is able to play over his head first time for cavallini mm-hmm. to run on to and the other mistake i think is Can that we, do you mind if i jump in there really fast oh, yeah, yeah, because because i want to say something like I, you're absolutely right that it, in retrospect you're right like reem needs to win that ball and put it away all i can say is that maybe there's an idea that he's trying to like get the possession back as quickly as he can because we're ticking into uh, i believe it's injury time at this point yeah 91st yeah, minute 91st. um and and i would say this is where uh like maybe it's the system breaking down we can have this conversation like in a larger perspective in a little bit if you want but i do wonder if you have bradley or roldan or whomever sitting deeper and helping kind of shield that back line if that ball is headed to michael bradley because he's deeper or christian roldan because he's deeper or if at the very least jonathan Osorio isn't wide open to 
to then volley yeah. a ball back over the top because there's some defensive pressure. But because there wasn't, I think Tim Ream maybe doesn't do a good enough job with that header, but then is sort of caught with uh, a 2v1 scenario. And then the, the problem is Aaron Long is there, mm-hmm. right? Aaron Long drops and he's level with Cavallini after Osorio plays it over the top. But I think Long seems to think that Tim Ream can catch up to Cavallini. Mm-hmm. Now, I think he thinks that Ream is twice as fast as Tim Ream really is. Yep. So Long ends up being kind of useless and just being parallel with Cavallini, but nowhere near close enough to put pressure on him. And way before Tim Ream can come back, Cavallini just hits that shot past yep. Zach Steffen, right? So I think yeah. there's, on both of these goals, I think there's a lack of... Um, understanding and communication like first between long and yedlin and then between long and ream and that worries me as well and and then if we want to talk about things that worry us i think that worries me is that i would argue that another aspect of this is potentially underestimating your opponent and i think the way aaron long goes about defending cavallini here everything you said is correct i would just add that it's very similar to what i talked about with lovitz uh, for the first goal that it's long i think sort of thinking like oh he's not going to shoot this like i'll just kind of shepherd him into (laughs) a tighter angle he's going to try to square it but i'll make sure that i'm in a position to cut out that kind of squared ball and it's gonna yeah and instead he doesn't really close it down doesn't cause cavallini problems so much that the cavallini is able to like with confidence and without much pressure hit a lovely volley into the back of the net. There's nothing Stefan could have done about it, in my opinion, even though he's beaten near post. But I think it's the U.S. being a little bit standoffish and thinking like, oh, this is their substitute striker. He's not going to, oh, no, he volleyed it in perfectly. Never mind. My bad. <laughs> oh, so big picture. Let's talk mm. big picture. Um, one of the, the thoughts that hit me is that the U.S. looked, um, it's kind of a Klinsman thought, actually. The, the U.S. looked incapable of problem solving. Yep. They just kept trying to do the bear halter patterns, um, failing to do that, but they're not taking into account the the sort of larger shape of the game and what Canada were doing and like thinking about ways around what Canada were doing. Mm. Instead, they were just sort of just blindly repeating the patterns and hoping that something would pay off. Meanwhile, they were very susceptible to the press, right? Anytime Canada pressed, it wasn't that often, right? But when they pressed us coming out of the back, there were things like uh, Roldan, under pressure, not being able to find a pass and instead playing Jonathan David through on goal. Yeah, that was not in great. In the first half, he nearly, got, he nearly got an own assist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we're also just very susceptible to the counterattack, right? Because we would possess, 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 and then they could just hit balls through for Davies and David. So we had no problem solving ability to break them down. We couldn't play out of the back. We were under pressure every time we tried to do that. And we were susceptible to the counterattack as well. And that's a recipe for disaster. We deserve to lose 2-0. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, you mentioned earlier like how this was the game that you really were sort of starting to get some concerns. You started to have like lingering doubts, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, yeah. Because I can't quite remember your exact verbiage. Uh, <laughs> what I would say is like this was a game in which like the United States contrast this with the Mexico game, the 3-0 loss to Mexico, when it was essentially the U.S. They came into that game wanting to build out of the back. Mexico came in with an incredibly high press, like intent on causing problems for the United States if they tried to play out. And so the United States were kind of suffocated. They never really had time and space. They were never really able like, or given the opportunity to figure things out. And I say that to contrast it with this Canada game in which we've already talked about how the United States had space. They had people who were open and they could have slowed it down and tried to find smarter passes. And I think even when the U.S. would try to turn and play forward and there were moments when Josh Sargent gets the ball and turns and goes, there were moments when Michael Bradley did that, Christian Roldan on a couple occasions as well. For the most part, though... 
it was the United States sort of doing the same thing, as you said, except without that sort of intense pressure that we saw from Mexico. It was almost like the U.S. was like on a magnet pulled into the middle of the field thinking that it would work, except that's exactly what Canada wanted them to do. And I really can't wrap my head around why they weren't able to adjust their plan to not play into Canada's hands. I think it's because it's all about trying to do the positional play and they're so focused on trying to execute that. There's no then creative thinking beyond that about trying to solve this problem. And then maybe the solution has to come from the bench, right? It has to be Greg Berhalter saying, all right, let's do this instead. Or let's make let's make this change. And none of that came either. So that was the this is why this is the first time that I'm really frustrated with Bearhelter for not having any solutions to pretty obvious problems. Let me let me ask you this, Daryl. If if Greg Berhalter came out in that press conference and said, Yeah, I subbed off Christian Pulisic because I didn't think he was good enough today. I thought I could bring in other options to change it up and make it more successful. I didn't think he was a sharp, he should have scored and he didn't. I'm being That's a bit kind more of what he said. How do you mean? Well, just he said that like he lacked energy and he thought Ariola would bring in more energy. But I guess what I mean is like if he had said uh, like I stepped him off because he wasn't good enough as opposed to I stepped him off because he had flu symptoms and maybe yeah. also wasn't good enough. Like would you be less upset by that decision if he sort of came out and owned it? Uh, no, because the end result would still be the same. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's not so much about how he portrays it in the press conference. It's more about what he actually does in the game mm-hmm. and how his changes um, influence the game for okay. – for better or worse, in this case, kind of worse, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the Bellhelter press conference, um, one of the things he talked about was intensity. Yeah. He said the minimum we expect is to match their intensity, which we didn't, um, and that you, this is where you need to back it up by actions. And there's definitely a thing of, like, I don't often subscribe to this theory of, like, teams being outfought. But it absolutely looked like Canada were way more up for it, right? They were mm-hmm. way more aggressive. They were like basically just way more fouls, just in a way that they were quite happy to be um, uh, nasty, essentially, in midfield. And I don't think we handled it very well. And I'm worried that we're becoming a team that's all focused on pretty passing and not on fighting, fighting, fighting. And I'm, I'm concerned about the identity of this U.S. team. I, so I don't have as much of a problem with the idea of like not being all about like fighting, 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 which I don't think is what you're necessarily saying. What I have an issue with is like in the first half, uh, Taylor Twelman and Ian Dark for ESPN, I felt were overly negative. Now – with the result going the way it did, maybe they just kind of saw, saw the writing on the wall and were already in a negative space. Uh, but to me, it felt a little bit like this was them not really giving Canada much credit for how much better they are than can- Canadian teams of the past. And instead, when Canada came out and sort of executed a game plan and looked solid, it seemed like they were more frustrated because I think they expected the United States to like sort of walk over Canada a little bit. And I think so did the United States. And that's what was troubling to me is that it had the air of a team that was like, don't you guys know we beat Canada 7-0? Like, aren't you just going to roll over and let us beat you 3-0? And when Canada started kicking and scrapping and there's the three fouls in three minutes that all three could have been yellow cards, instead only one was for Canada, there wasn't like Weston McKinney got into it a little bit, but you didn't see the United States elevate that feistiness of really like, no, I'm going to win this 50-50 ball. No, I'm going to win this tackle. Instead, it was sort of like, well, I'll kick out after the ball's gone. I can get into that level of scrappiness. But we didn't see that like raising their game to fight for the 50-50s, to fight for the second balls, to fight for 1v1 situations. It was just sort of a like, oh, you guys are going to kick us? Well, then we're not going to play anymore. So do you share my concern that maybe that identity of being able to win a scrap um, is kind of gone in favor of thinking too much about positional play and passing patterns? 
I think it's like – I guess this is like semantics, so whatever. Yes, I share it. It's just more like I, I, I'm i more concerned that like the dial seems to be broken, <laughs> that we can't go from like, never mind, pretty passes aren't working, hit them. <laughs> like we don't have that switch. Instead, it was more of a just like, well, this isn't fun. And it just seems like that's not – you're just expecting your opponent to allow you to play a certain way. <laughs> like I, it's just not going to end up uh, with a positive result for sure. Oh, speaking of positive results, mm-hmm. so the U.S. is currently second in the group, right? Um, the next game is November 15th mm-hmm. at home to Canada. Yep. It's at Orlando City Stadium, right? And then uh, a few days later, we go away away to Cuba, but actually it's in Barbados, right? I think so. Um, or at least it won't be in Havana, I don't right. think. Um, so th- that's a must-win game, right? It's a mm-hmm. must-win game for the U.S. against Canada. Um, and then beyond that, we're going to have like, you know, maybe tougher games in World Cup qualifying. Mm-hmm. We're maybe just playing this sort of positional play um, thing isn't go- isn't necessarily going to work. Right. Like a way to Honduras is going to be as tough as a way to Canada, um, m- maybe even tougher. Like if the if the field is nasty and you can't play those pretty passes around. Um, if Greg Berhalter has a moment after this Canada game where he's sort of like, okay, I can't just rely on playing Greggy ball. I've got to maybe make a few tweaks to make this a success so that I don't, I'm not overseeing a disaster for the US men's national team. What little tweaks could Bearhalter make, either in terms of different personnel he turns up, uh, calls up, or in terms of um, a different style of play or a different shape or a different system? I'd, I'd love for us to just have some little suggestions of things that could realistically happen if Greg Berhalter is visited by three ghosts tonight. <laughs> All right, I've, I've got an idea that I'm happy for you to uh, agree with and roll with. I'm also happy for you to completely shoot down. But like we, we, we talked after the Cuba game about how Berhalter doesn't seem to be like a coach who has a depth chart, that he's not going to be like, this is definitely my right back. It's going to be more of like, this is my right back for this situation. This is my right back for this situation. And I don't know if I've completely flipped on that, but I, but I think one thing I would like to see is maybe the United States just have a bit more like like consistency in that starting 11. And we saw a little bit of it tonight, but I'd rather see more of it so that when there yeah. is some experimentation, it's some experimentation as opposed to like, well, we're trying this guy right back. We're trying this guy at center back, this guy here, this guy there. And then next game, we're going to try this and this and this. And like, I get the idea of changing and we have to see what might fit. But if you're constantly uh, chopping and changing and moving people around, you don't get the consistency that I do think these players need to be able to play at this level successfully. So you would have been like, all right, Cannon's been the guy. Let's start Cannon in this yes. game. Yes, yeah. I, I, and I think that is certainly – I was up in the air about that one, and that is definitely hindsight being very much 2020 because I, I, I cannot stress how poor I thought DeAndre Hedlund was tonight. There's a moment that like really crystallizes it in the 54th minute. I forget which Canadian player it was who went down. It might have been Alfonso Davies, but it's – um. It's like off the ball or there's contact and then he kind of runs around for a little bit and he goes down. The United States are in possession. The referee blows a stop to it, I assume, because he thought there was a head injury. Uh, player gets treatment. Alfonso Davies goes off. Again, I think it's Davies. Play, referee uh, blows the whistle to resume. Yedlin takes the free kick from midfield and just boots it all the way back to Canada's goalkeeper. And you can literally see Jordan Morris and Josh Sargent standing there with their hands up, like, what do you, and then like pointing at themselves, like, that was our ball. What are you doing? Like, why would you give them the ball back? They didn't put it out. The referee blew a stop to it. And just those moments of like, 
like I appreciate you're trying to be a good sport, but like you're trying to win a game as well. And just the kind of like lack of attention to detail that Yedlin, rather than being like, well, we had possession, we're trying to build something here. Instead, it was like, no, you guys can have it. Just those moments, I just, I didn't appreciate him coming in and not having that elevated game the way I think we've seen Reggie Cannon have. And to me, yeah, I think a little bit of consistency for the people who have earned it probably helps, is my feeling. I would double down on that as well, especially with centre-backs. Mm-hmm. I kind of think if they always were going to play Aaron Long and Tim Ream yep. as the two centre-backs in this much tougher game, I would have just liked to see... I think there's value to just playing 90 minutes together. I would like to have seen, in hindsight, Long and Ream start the Cuba game. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of think of it in the, in the Gold Cup as well. We chopped and changed centre-backs quite a lot, right? It was like uh, sometimes Zimmerman, sometimes Long. It was, it was in and out and in and out. Um, and I think maybe at some point we've just got to settle on, these are our two centre-backs, let's give them some reps mm-hmm. together so that we don't have those moments of miscommunication like we saw on the Cavallini goal. Um, and like I think we saw between Long and Yedlin um, on the Alfonso Davis goal. Yeah. So maybe just some some reps at centre back for like a group that can form um, over time and play together a lot. Or if you want to like play multiple centre backs, like I think this is where sort of some of the rotations of Burhalter could have been utilized and they weren't. We've seen Tim Ream play left back, becoming left centre back with a more attacking right back. There's no reason why we couldn't have had Tim Ream play left back, have Matt Miazga still be in there as your center back who's going to win everything in the air, and then trust Aaron Long to do the defensive job and put out some sort of breakaway opportunities the way he did tonight. And on top of that, we've seen Matt Miazga have an attitude. He fights for stuff. He gets feisty. He battles people. There's the image of him and Diego Lainez that we all love and know and love. Like, that would have made sense to me, and that is a rotation that we have seen, and I think Tim Ream would have known what was expected of him. But if you're changing up the center backs, but you're keeping Dan Lovitz in, who has started some games and not started other ones, but now DeAndre Yedlin is getting his first start. It just feels like there's too much experimentation there. The other One more thing I'd like to see is a mm-hmm. personnel upgrade, and I think it's Octavius O'Clock in midfield. <laughs> I thought you said it once again. This has happened before. I thought you said Octavius Clark, and I was like, who is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, who's this I'm awesome lo- named uh, midfielder that I've never heard of? I'm saying I'm looking at my watch, and it mm-hmm. is Octavius O'Clock. That would have made sense. Uh, Dwayne Octavius Holmes needs to be part of that U.S. midfield because I think honestly, watch I've, I have watched him for Derby, right? I'm not just someone who's looked at internet highlights and been like, oh, he looks good, right? We've gone back and watched long, uh, long chunks of him playing for Derby, and I've seen multiple games. He is a midfield scrapper. He would not have let Canada push him around. I think it's it's Dwayne Holmes needs to be involved just for the extra feistiness and fight that he would bring to U.S. central yeah. midfield. And I think I can bridge this one a little bit. Sorry, did I cut you off? I can't tell if that was Skype cutting out or you being done. No, there was a finality to what I said. All right, good. I appreciate the finality. <laughs> and, I, and I think I can bridge these by saying that, like, having just said I don't want to see so much experimentation to then say, like, but maybe change out who's ever in midfield. Um, I think I feel comfortable with that, and I agree with with it being Octavius O'Clock because changing out center backs to or, like, keeping center backs consistent to have a more – clear idea of what you're doing defensively that makes sense to me but also knowing your limitations and adjusting what you're doing to suit or to like not place too much emphasis on your vulnerable points also makes sense and as we've said I think we've seen the limitations of Christian Roldan at this level when playing against stronger opposition and a lot being asked of him in midfield especially in like a two-man midfield such as it was tonight I don't think he can do that I think Octavius Holmes maybe could have Dwayne Octavius Holmes (laughs) excuse me I'm going with the full Octavius now and that is one where like 
I'm almost like, okay, but we have the consistency here. Yes, we know that Christian Roldan can do that role to some extent, but we also know he struggles in other moments. So why not keep the defense more consistent, experiment maybe with the Edlin if you really want to, but then also put in somebody who we think can do a better job at that number eight, or I guess I should say include them in the roster to begin with. Well, just to add some fight to the midfield, because yeah. I think there, was, there is a lack of it, and mm-hmm. Berhalter was complaining about it himself in, in the yep. press conference. Here's another thing. You mentioned the two-man midfield, right? It's worth pointing out that at some points tonight, uh, we had a defensive shape of, what, Bradley and Roldan alongside each other mm-hmm. in the 4-4-2 defensive shape up against four Canadian midfielders, right? The, it's the, it's, the odds are never in our favor, right? Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of the Hunger Games yep. slogan. Um, and I, th- I think, in general, the U.S. needs... Um, a different shape, just a different look, because it's been the ex- almost the exact same thing every single game. Mm-hmm. So we need a different look where it isn't just two central midfielders up against more than two central midfielders, right? Just the, have a different shape that we can go to if we need to go to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the same in the same instance, I think we need a different shape where there's more than one striker. We may need like a four four two attacking shape where we can actually have two strikers in the box so that we can go to that when we need it late in a game. Yeah, yeah, because I think like... Have a plan B is what I'm saying for defense and for attack. Yeah, right. Exactly. That key point there for defense and attack. And like you can't win every game. You're not going to win every game unless you're like Brazil or Germany. Uh, But like for the United States, like there, there's also something to be said for if it's the 70th minute, say it was 70th minute and it's still nil nil, which wasn't the case. But if it were like there's also something to be said for having the practicality to say like, look, these points matter. These games matter. I don't want to like really overextend myself. It doesn't seem like we're going to get good attacking opportunities. So instead, I'm going to shut it down and go like defensive and maybe look to counterattack, but mostly just see this game out. We'll get a point on the road. We'll like change things and get like three points at home and it will be fine. Even that sort of adjustment, I think, would be okay if you had a defensive plan for when you need to just kill the game off and then you had a like break glass and throw out this crazy attacking shape, but that was part of the plan. I think both of those would be fine but feeling like we don't really have either but we also don't really not have either but we have this weird like well we could try that or this or maybe this it just leaves me with so many more questions than i expected to have at this point what we have i think i texted this to you earlier what we have now is plan a mm-hmm. and then when things go wrong it's bear on the sideline saying keep doing plan a but just do it better yeah and that's that's not going to work, right? No, I mean, it speaks to the idea of Berhalter is that it's a failure of execution on the player's part as opposed to a failure of the tactical game plan, which yeah. is troubling. It is troubling. I think on that note, I, I, I think I've said everything I want to say. Is there anything else you want to talk about with this game? There is one, and I, I didn't think I would be able to end on a somewhat positive note, but I will oh, yeah. say this. <laughs> Jordan Morris is continuing to impress me. <laughs> like I thought he had uh, like like uh, against Mexico in that 3-0 loss, I thought he was one of the only bright spots and I think that again tonight that he played the whole game, no he didn't score, but you saw moments where he was the United States's chief threat and where he kept fighting and kept battling and kept trying to make something happen. He has the sort of run, he flicks it over the defender, then he brings it down, he squares it to Pulisic. Pulisic should have done way better than he did instead he hits it right at the goalkeeper. But that's Morris setting up opportunities for Pulisic. He continued to make those runs in behind that the U.S. was looking for but couldn't pull off, not because Morris was making poor runs, but because I think the delivery was bad. Do you know what? Worth noting, we went back and looked at this play specifically, right, mm-hmm. to, to double check this. This is a time when the U.S. just went direct, right? Yep. Wasn't it just Stefan just put it route one down the middle? Josh Sargent, the center forward, yep. 
flicks it on, yep. and our fast guy Jordan Morris runs in behind. It's yeah. such classic Route 1 stuff, right? Mm-hmm. One guy heads it on, and the fast guy runs in behind. Yeah, and worth remembering that when the United States did that and scored a goal, the whole conversation was about how like they didn't want Stefan playing long in that moment. So even yeah. when the United States were able to score off of this previously, it was sort of then seen as like, well, it's not really what we wanted, but in this case, yeah. I guess it's okay. So worth that's, that's out, also troubling Pul- again. Worth pointing out, Pulisic should have done a lot better with that chance. Yes. Right? He fires it straight at yes. the keeper. It's yep. really poor stuff. It really, I mean, like to the extent that like all he needed to do was pick his head up and pass it to either side of the goalkeeper and that ball's going in, especially yes. near post. But it didn't, and uh, that's the story of the evening. But I thought Jordan Morris was probably the best performer for the U.S. I thought Zach Steffen did what he could and had some big plays. That one giveaway you mentioned from Christian Roldan, yeah. I mean, there's the there's the double save that he, or he makes a save. It goes back to Jonathan David, and then Steffen oh, does, does like the yeah. full ex- stretch extension set, like like dive to then put Jonathan Fair David enough. off. Yeah. So I thought some point, of those – he did as well as he could have, I think, uh, given the situation. Okay, let's try and end on that since that's yeah. about as positive uh, as we sure. can get. Um, what else is on tap for the Total Soccer Show the rest of this week, Taylor? I'm in Boston, so I'm a little out of it the next couple of days. That's what fine. Have, what have you got planned? We've got uh, the crossover episode with the Cooligans that we recorded prior to the USA-Cuba game when things... Oh, I, I'm on that one. You are. So I'll, I'll be back this week. It like they were going to be slightly happier. Um, yeah. Also coming up, we've got uh, Joe Lowry, who's going to be back on the show to uh, talk a little bit more about this game. Probably... Uh, Emphasis on a little bit because I'm not sure how much more people are going to want to hear about this. Uh, but then we're also going to be previewing uh, MLS playoffs, which start this coming weekend. Uh, Meg Linehan is going to be on to – or at least is, is uh, scheduled to be on, uh, all things permitting, hopefully, uh, to uh, discuss the end of the NWSL regular season, the beginning of the NWSL playoffs. Uh, so that will be there. And then we may also uh, discuss Lansing Ignite and their folding and what all went into that as well. Oh, yeah. Our Richmond Kickers Weekly episode, we recorded it before we knew the Lansing news, mm. right? So that w- might have changed the tenor of some of those conversations. Yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah. Well, there would have been a coach available and maybe some players available. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, so I think and- uh, J- Jason, who I believe is one of the hosts of League One Fun with our friend Ira Jersey, yes. he's going to be on to help me make sense of what all happened at Lansing Ignite and how it's a foolish idea to think that your minor league soccer team is going to turn a profit in the first year. Uh, <laughs> at least that's the thesis that I'm operating on. Uh, and then Travis and I for Top Door Soccer this week are going to be uh, taking a look at the U.S. U-17 World Cup roster, which is now official and sort of uh, who made it, what we think will happen, some tactical trends we expect, who could be the star performers what are the vulnerabilities all that and much much more this week oh that all sounds good i guess i'll get to listen to all of that as well. <laughs> there you go so, good for me um <laughs> and good for our listeners um i will close by saying taylor rockwell just talking to you has cheered me up a little bit so thank you for taking the time to talk to me tonight genuinely right back at you buddy listeners thank you for listening we especially appreciate it when you listen after a tough game for the united states because i know the temptation can be i don't want to hear about this Mm -mm. right so everybody who's listened we really really appreciate it and we will talk to you again very soon 